Hello, and welcome to the Canine Conversations podcast, where we're positively obsessed with dog behavior. My name is Kayla Fratt, and I'm bringing you a special episode today that we're sharing from our dear friend, Marissa Martino. Marissa and I recorded this episode a while back about how to support our dog's needs while meeting our own needs at the same time. If you don't already subscribe to the Pause and Reward podcast but miss Marissa's voice, make sure to check it out now. And without further ado, here's the episode. Hello, I'm Marissa Martino of Pause and Reward in Boulder, Colorado, and you're listening to the Pause and Reward podcast, where we stop and reflect on behavior change, dog training, the human-canine bond, and the relationships with our loved ones. Hey, podcast listeners, it's Marissa, and I have an exciting contest to announce. When we look back at this trying and turbulent year, many of us can say that our dogs were our greatest support systems, you know, getting us through some of the darkest days. And because of this, I wanted to find a way to celebrate them before this monumental year is over. So please join me in celebrating our festive furry friends holiday challenge. All you have to do to be a part of this challenge is five easy steps. One, follow pause and reward on Instagram. Two, Post a picture of you and your dog and bonus points if it's festive. Three, let everyone know how has your relationship with your dog supported you through this hard time? Number four, use hashtag human canine relationship and tag pause and reward. And number five, tag two of your friends in the post to get this party started. Please make sure you posted by December 31st because we'll be choosing five winners to receive a free copy of my signed book, Human Canine Behavior Connection. Sully and I wish you an amazing holiday season and a wonderful new year. Now on to the podcast. Hey guys, I'm bringing it back old school today because I've got my dear friend Kayla Fratt on the show. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Um, Kayla and I, along with our good friend Ursa, um, used to co-host Canine Conversations podcast. So many of you may know that podcast. Ursa and Kayla are still keeping it real and launching episodes every other week. So that's so exciting to hear that. So today I feel right at home right? Weird. It's like, it's as if we're recording again together. Um, and Kayla is the owner of journey dog training where she's an avid blogger about all things dog behavior. She lives in Missoula, Montana with her amazing border collie barley, and she offers eBooks and self self study online courses on everything from puppy raising, which we'll hear about in a moment because she's getting a new puppy. Yay. And to loose leash walking and to separation anxiety. So please visit her site. We will link to that in the show notes. So we already mentioned that you share your life with Barley. What is your favorite thing about him? Oh my gosh. Um, well, in my opinion, Barley is the the world's most perfect dog. Uh, (laughs) so kind of everything. Um, but I would say, I think my favorite thing about him is just like, he has this like overwhelming enthusiasm for everything that I could ever want to do with him. Um, and he is just almost always just totally happy, go lucky to like, go try stuff, go do stuff. Um, and I just, yeah, I just love that about him. He, he's, he helps me wake up with uh, a sense of like excitement for the day because he's always excited about the day. Yeah. Yeah. And 
remind me, Kayla, was he, when he was relinquished to the shelter, he was nervous, wasn't he? Um, he or was it pretty used mild? to do more kind of like barky lungy stuff with strange silhouettes mm, was okay. kind of how I, so, you know, sometimes hats, sometimes trekking poles, sometimes a funky backpack, mm-hmm. wheelchairs, crutches, that sort of stuff. Um, and he still, if we're being honest, will do that occasionally. It's probably like a couple times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I first got him, it was several times a day. Yeah. I guess I just, I want to highlight too. I think that your, your, his enthusiasm is a product of your enthusiasm too. It's yeah. like the two of you probably feed off of each other. And you've done such a good job preparing him for life and keeping him engaged, which is pretty much the topic that we're going to be talking about yeah. today. Yeah, exactly. And just, um, you are getting a puppy fingers yes. crossed. <laughs> yeah. Fingers crossed. Paws I'm, crossed. You know, <laughs> crossed. Uh, Barley will forgive me eventually. Okay. Um, yeah. You've had, you've had to sit down with him. He, he understands what's happening. Yeah, yeah. We've had the conversation. It's not because I hate him. It's because I love him and I want more of him. Uh, yeah. So, that's yeah. awesome. I love all my clients who are like, they're like, so I sat down with my dog and I had a conversation and I'm like, yeah, did that work? Is that actually, is that actually going to fix the behavior issue? And they're like, no, but I felt better that I talked, I talked to the dog. I'm like, okay. So today Kayla and I are going to talk about six topics you should consider when evaluating whether or not you're meeting your dog's needs. And before we do that, there are a few questions that we want you to ask yourself. So the first question is, how old is your dog? So Kayla, why would we be asking about the age? Like, why is that relevant? Yeah. um, The age of your dog is going to matter as far as what your dog's primary needs are. Um, And it's just really important to keep that in mind, especially as you've had your dog for months or years at a time, but as they change through different periods of their life, they're going to have different needs. And then one other complicating factor here is that their breed is also going to affect this. So some mm-hmm. breeds are more quickly and more slowly. So comparing two seven month old dogs is not necessarily comparing apples to apples. Mm-hmm. So for example, with like really little puppies, they need a lot of sleep and a lot of rest. And just like babies and toddlers, they don't always want that, but it is kind of what they need. Mm-hmm. Versus adolescents tend to end up craving a lot of excitement, a lot of getting out there, a lot of doing stuff. They tend to be a lot more independent, just kind of like human teenagers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Adolescence is a really challenging time and it feels like it goes on forever. Puppyhood is pretty short. Yeah, Um, really short. By the time is by the time your puppy is like six or seven months old, they're more in teenager mode. Mm -hmm. Um, And then teenager mode often can go until that dog is like two years old. If not longer versus, you know, then we can go on through young adult, um, kind of middle-aged adult, adult, and then on into senior. Um, and those needs are just going to continue changing. Generally, we see less rapid changes and less kind of extreme changes between young adult and medium adult, um, versus some dogs, their seniors, senior life doesn't actually change that much either, but uh, for some dogs, it is dramatically different. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've got anything else that you wanted to add or kind of bring in there. Yeah, no, I think all of that is really great. And I think, I mean, a lot of, a lot of listeners know that I have a senior dog and I have had to make some adjustments that we'll talk about in the podcast today. But yeah, I mean, I think 
if if you know a lot of a lot of folks are very much saying you know oh i i can't wait till my dog's an adult when does he settle down and for some breeds or for some particular individuals it might be a really long time so i would i wouldn't cross your fingers and just hope that they're gonna chill out or settle down tomorrow right because it, it could be okay. several years from now because they're a high energy dog and they require a lot from Mm-hmm. their environment and from their, um, in, in regards to enrichment. Yeah. So, and one of the other things I think about a lot with, you know, yes, this might be a puppy thing that my dog is likely to grow out of. So like chewing as an example, like mm-hmm. most dogs get far, far less destructive as they get older. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say that you won't occasionally have a nine-year-old dog who rips up their bed for the first time in three years. <laughs> yeah, But, um, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't train it or shouldn't work on it. I think sometimes people kind of get in this trap of being like, Oh, he's a puppy. He'll grow out of it. And then they don't do anything to help the dog learn alternative behaviors. And then the dog never really is going to grow out of it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So while there's stuff that is pretty typical, normal puppy or adolescent problem, um, that doesn't mean that waiting for, you should um, just wait. Yeah. 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 I mean, there are some things. Yeah, there are some things, but I I think as a rule of thumb, I tell my clients usually, especially when I'm dealing with younger puppies or adolescents, I'm just like, I will never tell you to just wait it out and cross your fingers because um, I would rather you work on it, like you mentioned. And I I want you to work on it and be happy with that versus being really disappointed when the dog doesn't grow out of it. Right. Um, I think it's it's setting setting expectations for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a difference between kind of being like, you know, when your seven month old dog barks at the trash can for apparently no reason, you know, be like, Hmm, okay, that's interesting. We're just going to ignore that. We're just going to be casual about that. And we're going to see if that's still the same thing in a week, because it could have just been kind of a weird fear period thing. Mm -hmm. But if that problem is consistent or worse, or, you know, is consistent with your pup's normal behavior, then you really need to assume that that's something you need to work on versus, you know, occasional unusual outbursts as especially as dogs are kind of going from puppies to teenagers mm-hmm. some of that sort of stuff is just kind of like okay take take note and monitor yeah that's that's smart take note and monitor so the second question is what is your dog physically able to do and we're going to talk about a variety of different types of enrichment and we just want to make sure that you're asking the question like i don't take my senior dog running with me anymore Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Or should I be taking my six month old where the bones are not fully developed yet on a really long, consistent trail run? Right. Like we want to make sure that we are taking care of our dog's physical body as well as their emotional and mental body. Mm -hmm. The third question is, what is your dog? Something about physically. Oh, yeah. Able to do. Yeah. Um, I think one, you know, one other thing to throw in there as well is, you know, your, your breed's confirmation. So if you've got a Frenchie, um, or any other kind of like super short nosed dog or super little dog, you know, I think most people are relatively aware of the fact that their Chihuahua is not going to be a great bike drawing dog. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, keeping that in mind and then for people like me, <laughs> um, who tend to go over the top and have a dog who is willing to let them go over the top, I often have to ask myself, okay, yes, my dog is able to do this, but like, is it actually smart for him to do this? So for example, yesterday, yeah, good point. Um, so we, Barley and I had an agility trial on Sunday. We went for a trail run 
on Saturday. And then yesterday we did an hour of scent work training and he had an hour long off leash romp with another dog. And then later that evening, I was going for a four mile run. Could my dog have joined me for that run? Absolutely. He would have happily gone for that run with mm -hmm. me. Um, but I actually ended up deciding that even for my super high energy border collie, rest was actually probably more important for him at mm -hmm. that moment. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, there's just, it's always a give and a take. And uh, I think it can be challenging for people with really, really high energy dogs, especially mm -hmm. if you're a high energy person yeah. to also at times be like, okay, you know, I actually think my dog needs to stay behind right now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The third question is what is your dog's breed and what was that breed bred to do? So I know you really wanted to talk about this today, Kayla. So share with us your thoughts about this particular question. Yeah. So this is kind of one of my current favorite things to think about. Um, and I think it's partially because as I've been looking for my next dog, I've been thinking a lot about purpose-bred dogs. And mm -hmm. even if I'm not necessarily looking at a working dog kennel for my next dog, like what are the ancestral traits of each breed? And how is that going to fit into my lifestyle? And I think I've been partially obsessed with this because I've been reading Kim Brophy's book, Meet Your Dog. Um, mm -hmm. So she's an ethologist and ethology. Oh, I should have looked this up before I started saying this, that I knew the definition, but it's, it's the study of behavior, but kind of within the context of genes and the environment. Mm -hmm. um, I think. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that that was accurate. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure um, that was accurate. Yeah. Um, and so she's really focused on kind of these 10 ancestral breed groups, um, which don't necessarily line up with AKC breed groups, but thinking about what those dogs are bred for and then how that interacts with what their, their common problem behaviors are nowadays mm -hmm. as well of who's a good fit for them. Yeah. Um, so I would just really highly recommend referring to her book or her audiobook for that. Um, the audiobook is really well read. Um, that's what I've been listening to. Um, so that plug kind of aside, you know, let's just kind of pull out a couple different breeds and then think about what they're bred to do and then think about how that can play into their enrichment. Um, so, you know, let's think about terriers, uh, rat terriers, Cairn terriers, Jack Russell's almost all of the terriers are bred to actually kill rats. You know, that is their purpose, whether they were on a ship or in a grain silo or just in your cabin, mm -hmm. those dogs were supposed to be going and finding those rats. And Kim in her book tells the story of a woman who moves into um, kind of a small cabin in the woods to help take care of an ailing relative. Mm -hmm. um, and the dog, her Cairn Terrier or West Highland Terrier, Wheaton Terrier, some sort of terrier <laughs> basically starts going insane. You know, this dog is like scratching at the walls, barking, whining, pacing, nonstop, won't eat, you know, and she mm -hmm. was like, she went to the vet for a prescription, you know, thinking she needed to sedate her dog. She had no idea what was going on with him. She was like, oh my God, does he have a brain tumor? Um, and it turns out she had mice in her walls. I was going to say, yeah, she had like vermin somewhere. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's just like your dog is just like he's got these crazy terrier instincts and he really wants to go kill those rats and that's mm -hmm. his job. So, yeah. you know, terriers in particular are generally not well suited to living with a lot of small animals. Like I foster cats um, occasionally and I really love fostering kittens. Mm -hmm. um, it's one of the reasons I don't think I'll ever get a terrier. I love them. I love Jack Russells, but it's just not worth the risk to me. Mm -hmm. uh, which is a personal choice. Um, 
So, you know, just thinking through like what your terrier's problem behaviors are and what he's bred to do, you know, like what is going to light his brain up the way mm-hmm. that killing rats would, how can we help give him that outlet? And that's one of the things I, oh, I really enjoy thinking about is like your dog has this, this wiring in her, in his brain that is going to light up and is going to love yeah. doing something because he's been bred for it for generations. You can think of it like generations of reinforcement history putting it into that bank. Like it's like a trust fund, Yeah, <laughs> but a trust fund that can only be used for specific things. Like yeah. just because your terrier really wants to kill rats, doesn't mean you can use that to get him to whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we can sign up for rat hunt. We can work on playing killy games with, with toys and understand that your terrier is going to want to chase, catch, and tear apart. Tear apart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, maybe getting your toys from the pay per pound thrift store is going to be really wise with the terrier and not getting upset (laughs) when they shred stuff. Um, And I'm by no means a terrier expert, but, um, yeah. Do you have, uh, do you want to talk about a breed, Marissa? Yeah. Well, I actually wrote down this breed. So I have a client that called me the other day and she's like, do you know what a Legoto is? And I was like, no, I have not heard of that breed. It's Legoto Roman. I can't even pronounce the, the, how do you pronounce that? Romagnolo? Romagnolo? Romagnolo. Well, it is an Italian, it, it is an Italian, Italian breed. So let's put a little, let's put an oomph in it. Yeah. I mean, I am Italian. <laughs> but, yeah, I know so am I, but that doesn't mean that I've got like a genetic understanding of how to pronounce it, unfortunately. True. God, it would be nice if it worked that way. Uh, totally. Um, but Legoto, uh, I love that this client called me. She was just like, yeah, he's 11, he's 11 weeks old. And I, you know, they were bred to be truffle hunters and I really want to be able to enrich him from that perspective. And I was like, wow, like, wow, that is awesome that you are calling. Well, one that you, I mean, obviously if you, if you choose a really specific breed like that, that you are going to know a lot about the breed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that she called and wanted to make sure that she was sort of, like you said, lighting up his brain in that way. And so we were talking about doing a bunch of scent work and, um, you know, enriching his life from that perspective through, through his nose. Um, and she was so excited about that. And so I guess I just, I just really appreciate a client that knows the breed, understands it, um, and really wants to highlight that, that dog's needs from that perspective. I have another mm-hmm. client that has, um, a cattle dog and I mean, well, she, she, sorry, she has two dogs. She's a cattle dog and she has a, um, a Sheltie. Wow. I couldn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't remember. And she takes them to herding lessons and she takes the cattle dog to cow camp. I didn't even know that there was such a thing cow camp, um, where, where you go for like several days and, um, you know, she's, she's teaching them how, I mean, she's not teaching them how to herd, but, but she's perfecting their, uh, their already, uh, innate capability to herd. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Teaching the dog how to work with you instead of just it, collecting the sheep and taking them. Exactly. Exactly. I'm like, we're not really teaching them how to herd. They already know how to do that, but you're right. Teaching them how to work with you. Um, and so I just, I really appreciate that because, um, as you said, it, dogs have specific, um, jobs and things that light them up. And the people that really tap into that, I think, 
I think it's, it's only positive for both the dog and the person. And it really like meets their needs on like a very deep level. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. I think this is one of the things that I'm currently like most passionate about with my clients. Um, and just kind of in general in life is like thinking really, really hard about like what this dog what this dog's brain wants to be able to do brain and body. And like, Mm -hmm. how can we meet the dog somewhere to make that work? So for example, like I'm currently living with a Belgian Malinois, um, which it turns out is not my breed. Um, I actually thought that I would really enjoy them um, because I like border collies and I feel like they're, they're kind of lumped in similarly in some training groups, but Mm -hmm. there are some of the, some of the mannerisms that are different between the two breeds are not a great fit for me. Jack's, the, the, the Malinois, he tends to be, um, he's very, very mouthy. I was just going to say, is he really oral? Which, yeah. You it's know, like, like I knew that was going to be the totally, case. but living with it is different yeah. than knowing it. And actually, you know, and he's still really polite. Like I very rarely get mouthed by him unless I amp him up too much in play. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find toy play with him just incredibly frustrating because mm-hmm. he really wants to chomp and he wants to regrip and he wants to hold. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, it, it, you know, it seems like a small thing, but I, I, I like even playing with him. I don't, I just don't find it nearly as fun as with my border collie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was making a point with this somewhere. I've been thinking a lot about, you know, how that genetic heritage plays into it. And there are certainly things with Jack's that we can work on as far as his toy play manners. You know, yeah. we're really working on teaching him to drop the ball politely the first time you ask, not chomping on it and regripping on it and whining and circling for. 10 minutes. (laughs) But, and like part of that is certainly a learned behavior. He's had a lot of conflict around his toy play in the past where Mm -hmm. he's been punished pretty heavily for not dropping things. Mm, Um, And it's kind of created more conflict and worrisome behavior with his toy play. But, you know, then at the same time that plays into these genetic pathways that he has. Um, And I find it really interesting and it kind of breaks my brain a little bit to think about times where, Maybe no matter how kind I am as I train this and how good my training plan is, it's actually better for the dog and his genetic heritage and his breed to leave it be, Mm -hmm. you know, rather than fighting him with, even if I'm fighting him with a a beautiful positive reinforcement training plan um, for six weeks on better toy play, better Mm -hmm. by my definition, you know, maybe it's actually better for him as a Malinois and all his Malinois to chomp on that toy. Um, and it's yeah. something I really struggle with because I feel like I came into dog training to be like, yeah, I'm, I, you know, I have control issues and I like animals. So now I'm a dog trainer. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so true. And like, oh, I'm positive reinforcement based. So like, this is fine. Um, yeah. But I find it really interesting to challenge that a little bit and to think about like when it actually is probably the kindest thing to the dog to let them play out that their genetics a little bit more. I don't know if that's making sense at all. No, Um, it's not a fully formed thought yet. No, it it reminds me of my client last night where he, he was, he was like, I really just want this dog to fetch. And, and the wife was like, well, I mean, yeah, we, we, we can, we, we can probably teach her how to do that. Right. Marissa. And I was like, we can, does she really like it? Do you think she likes to fat? Have you seen? And they're like, not really. And I was like, 
we can try it, like you said, with a beautiful positive reinforcement plan. We make it really, really fun and positive and like move in small steps. And if she doesn't really like this game, then who is the game for sort of thing, right? Like you were just saying, like, like I I think you said, you know, it's appropriate toy play for you, but is it appropriate toy play for Jax, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And and as long as he's not drawing blood on me, like, yeah, it just makes our training plans or like, it makes our training go slower and like, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Right. So this is where it's like, do we make a compromise knowing that like you want a different type of play? The dog wants a different type of play. Mm -hmm. Where is the compromise within that? And how does that, how do we make sure it feels good for, for both parties? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So consider your breed. And I think Mm -hmm. in terms of that question, there might be listeners going, well, well, I don't even know what my dog's breed is, or, I mean, Mm -hmm. most of my clients, they have done the genetic testing. (laughs) They're like, yeah, I'm like, oh, does he have some? They're like, no, 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 I know. He's got 5%, da, 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 whatever, 6%. That's... So there is that to understand your dog if that's a necessity for you. Um, and then another thing is make an educated guess. That's what a lot of the shelters are doing uh, and rescues. And then the last thing would be is just watch your dog, right? Watch yeah. your dog and see what they're naturally inclined to do. Um, whether that is digging or chasing things or shredding things like Kayla was talking about. So if you don't have genetic testing or you didn't get your dog from a breeder or so on and so forth, or it's not an obvious choice, watch your dog so that you could make educated decisions. The next question is, what do you like to do with your dog? And then what does your dog like to do with you? So when do you feel most connected to your dog? And that could be during play or during a physical activity, but making sure that whatever it is that you are doing with your dog and your dog is doing with you is that it's meeting both your needs. And you know this by how you feel. And you also know this for your dog by their level of engagement and their body language and um, whether or not this is a satiating activity for both of you. So anything you want to say about that, Kayla? No, I mean, yes, of course I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, times. I mean, I think I'd, I'd like to, you know, dive into a couple <laughs> short examples maybe, but you know, one of the ones that I think about is when you and I first took that very first nose work class, I don't think either one of us was necessarily super psyched about the concept of nose work from day one. Mm-hmm. And I know I got really turned on to nose work because I saw how much my dog loves it. And it's now, I mean, my profession, um, mm-hmm. I work with detection mm-hmm. dogs now. Um, and you know, it's one of my absolute favorite things to do with my dog. Um, and it's not necessarily when I feel most connected because I'm just kind of on the other end of the leash watching him go. Yeah. I was going to say, um, that's not really like, like you're just sort of there facilitating. Yeah. But like, you know, we've made it work versus agility. I think we both get really amped up by agility and really enjoy it. Um, and we have to be a lot more connected, but honestly, like the times that I feel most connected with my dog are when we're cuddling in bed, but that doesn't happen very often. Um, and I, I barely does not necessarily do that at will. Um, I get, you know, five minutes of cuddling every day, generally in the morning. Sometimes if I take an afternoon nap, he'll kind of snuggle up with me. Um, but you know, just because something, it's something that both of you guys enjoy occasionally. And it's when I feel most connected with him doesn't mean that I can just kind of get it when I want, um, which is kind of a bummer. 
so I think, and this kind of bleeds into our next one as far as compromise and getting creative with how to um, meet your dog's needs. So, you know, one of the things that I ran into with Barley when I first got him was that I worked four 10 hour days at the shelter. So, you know, let's think about our realistic time commitment. That's our fifth point. Um, and how, how much time do you actually have to meet your dog's needs and how can you get creative and efficient with those activities? Um, so I know I often recommend that people send their dogs to a midday dog walker or, um, if their dog is appropriate for it, an off leash doggy hiking service or, you know, whatever it is, um, as a, as an option, you know, if you have no time during the day. Um, but then, you know, you can also think about getting creative with meeting everyone's needs in other ways. So when I first got Barley, as I said, I worked four 10 hour days a week. So I did have three days a week where, I mean, I was, I was there, I was ready for, for whatever Barley needed, whatever he wanted, but those three days were in a row as well. So it wasn't like I had every other day to meet his needs. So he did have four, four days in a row where he was really kind of stuck a lot of the time. And, um, what I ended up needing to compromise on, which was really hard for me, was that when I got Barley, I was doing a lot of rock climbing. I was going to the climbing gym multiple times a week. I was doing yoga. And that was kind of how I was meeting my my physical needs. And I was also getting a lot of social stuff out of that. Um, I was meeting up with friends. My boyfriend at the time was a really avid climber, still is an avid climber. Um, and when I got Barley, I realized I couldn't go to the climbing gym for an hour and a half each day and take him to the park for an hour each day. I just didn't have enough yeah, time. Yeah, especially so working 10-hour days. That's like insane. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I was doing like a half hour with him in the morning and then a half hour with him in the evening and then leaving him again to go to the climbing gym. So then he's spending 10 hours a day plus my commute alone. And then he would spend another couple hours alone while I was at the climbing gym. And I mean, honest to God, I think we did that for like two weeks before I was like, this is just not going to work. It's not how I want to show up for my dog. Um, And I ended up within um, a month or so of owning Barley, signing up for a marathon and just being like, all right, we're running. Now we run. Um, And that's how we meet both of our needs. And that was a hard switch for me. I had run in high school, but I didn't really run at all through college. And I didn't really want to do it. I now love it. I now like my daily run is one of my favorite things. And we did something we do together. But I don't know. I, I, I just kind of wanted to tell that story as far as getting creative and efficient and finding compromise and knowing that Sometimes you're going to grow into loving something that you yeah. don't necessarily love the first time you try it with your dog. Yeah, I love that you bring up that point. And I also love the point about that, um, that it was hard, right? That like you're yeah. saying, I was doing this to meet my needs. And then now I have to switch gears because of my dog. And I mean, there could be feelings of frustration or resentment or, or, or like any, like fill in the blank emotion about why you now have to switch from doing something that you really love to now doing something that you're like mediocre about. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that that's really important. I'm sure a lot of pet parents feel that way at times. Um, and if you're a trainer listening that like, we, we have to support our clients through that and not, not demonize them that they're like, Oh my gosh, really? I, I now have to, you know, it could go the other way. I now have to go for, for, you know, I used to walk my other dog for 10 minutes a day and now I've got to do an hour long walk with this really high energy adolescent. Like Mm -hmm. these lifestyle shifts can be really hard. And I will say, you know, as my dog has aged, 
I like the way in which I feel most connected to him is when we were hiking together and he and I go hiking together, but not like epic long mile Alpine hikes anymore. Um, there, there was a moment this summer where Scott and I went backpacking a few times and I was like, I can't take my dog. Like this is heart wrenching that like we're going on this like 18 mile hike with backpacks he will do it right because he yeah. wants to do it he'll get there and he'll do it and he's really physically able at this point but should i like should i right. actually do that which is which is going back to the original point and it has been really hard to say okay i'm going to do a really mild hike with you and then i'm going to carve out additional time to go running or to do longer hikes for me and that has been yeah. it's been hard from a like schedule standpoint but it has also been relatively hard from a, um, like emotional standpoint, right. That like, I'm sort of Mm -hmm. missing my dog with me. And yet there have been some silver linings in the sense that like when I go running, it is my total downtime. I've got no one there. I've got no one to to keep track of. And that's been a really great self-care activity, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot wrapped up in this and I, we just want to honor where you're at and that this can sometimes feel hard to meet both your needs and the dog's needs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and if I'm being perfectly honest, a huge part of the reason that I'm planning on getting a puppy in the next, you know, hopefully I'm getting a puppy in a month, but you know, at least in the next two or three years is because I'm really scared of that point where I do have to start leaving barley behind. Um, and I'm hoping to be able to stagger my dogs at least. So Mm -hmm. I I think a lot of people do that. still feel bad about leaving barley behind and we'll certainly still have to do a lot of adjustments to meet his needs Mm -hmm. as he you know, we've agreed he's living to 16 at least. Um, okay. We shook on it. Great. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so hopefully he doesn't slow down until he's 14 and, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. still, like, yeah. there is going to be a period of time where Barley is not coming with me. And even, um, you know, he had an injury a couple years ago and couldn't go on any runs for six months, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so oh, it doesn't yeah, that's right. I remember age. That. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, it's so hard. It's it was hard. so hard for me. Yeah. Um, Cause I was training for a marathon. So I also, I needed to be running anyway. And it just felt so wrong to be taking, to going out and leaving him behind and yeah. sort of spending, you know, like, cause he was allowed to walk. So I could have gone for an hour long walk instead of an hour long run, but I couldn't cause I had signed up for this marathon. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think, you know, you were that, that story reminds me of, um, I have a client that has two dogs and she has them separate right now. She is an amazing client and, we talked about this because, you know, you and I are talking about like single dogs right now, but in a multi-dog household where you have dogs that have very different needs. Right. And maybe some conflict between the dogs, right? Because that that's actually something that we're dealing with. And she and I, we had tried to devise a plan where like, okay, Monday it's one dog, Tuesday, it's the next dog, Wednesday, it's the first dog, Thursday, it's the next dog, right? So that we can, that she knew at some point she would be able to meet the dog's needs, but trying to do everything in one day just felt really overwhelming. And then she felt like she was sort of like, put words in her mouth, like, like failing at all the things because she, because it was almost like her to-do list for the day was insane. It was like really unrealistic. So having those, you know, like I go for a run for the marathon today and then maybe I go for a walk tomorrow or something like that. Right. Sort of yeah. like, like trading off because 
just so that you know that eventually you will get to it. But if you're trying to cram it all in one day or one week or something like that, it's, it's not realistic. And then no one feels successful. So just another thought in terms of breaking things up for you and your dog. And I think, you know, within this, there's also something implicit as far as prioritizing. Yep. You know, like I know for, for barley, um, like getting some off leash running time is probably the most important thing for him. So if mm-hmm. I can make that happen, as long as he's a lot able health health wise, mm-hmm. um, that's actually probably going to be the best thing for him. If I only have an hour to meet his needs on a given day versus like training and puzzle toys and all that sort of stuff, which he does enjoy. But if I only have so yeah. many spoons to it's give, it's a good call. Like kind of knowing where I'm going to get the most bang for my buck is, is really helpful. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, I, I, yeah, I would encourage listeners to kind of think through that, you know, and just knowing like, okay, if I really only have 10 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour for my dog, where am I going to get the where most am I put it? Yeah. Which honestly is a perfect segue to our last question is if you have noticed a reduction of unwanted behavior. So let's say like your dog spends his day barking at the window when people walk by or something like that, or, um, your dog is destructive or he seems uh, anxious on the walk or something like that. If you're noticing that, that there's a reduction in unwanted behaviors on days where you have met your dog's needs, right? Is there a way that you can prioritize that so that you have a positive impact everywhere, right? So that you are making sure that your, your dog's needs are met and you are doing it with the purpose to reduce unwanted behavior so that you and your dog live more harmoniously together. So the question really is, have you noticed that? And then if so, how can you prioritize that? Which is what Kayla's talking about. So what of the activities really you know, lit up your dog's brain and they can rest and, um, relax in the home. And how can you prioritize those particular behaviors? So anything you want to add to that, Kayla? No, I actually think you nailed it. Awesome. Okay. So we keep talking about some enrichment and we're, we, you know, we talked a little bit about a few examples, but, um, we do want to dive now into the six overarching categories of enrichment and providing an outlet for our dog. So the first one, um, that Kayla's really good at physical <laughs> exercise. If you haven't noticed, she's talking about running a ton. <laughs> so some physical exercise could include hiking, walking, running, um, social play with other dogs. And right here, I want to give a plug to one of the first episodes that I recorded with Mara Velez of Shelter Playgroup Alliance, where she talks about what healthy play looks like. So if your dog is, is not having a healthy interaction with other dogs, that actually might be more stressful than stress relieving, right? So we want to make sure that that play is, is healthy and balanced. Um, off-leash opportunities and sports. So sports could include, I mean, I'll let Kayla talk a little bit about sports um, because there's a variety of different ways that you can um, provide outlets for your dog Mm -hmm. through that. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I find really cool about a lot of dog sports is if you're in an urban area, um, you can probably find a sport that's perfect for your breed or breed mix of dogs. Um, Mm -hmm basically no matter what your, what your dog is. And if you're not in an urban area, like I'm not, I, we do not have anywhere that I can go dock diving. We do not have any, um, barn hunt 
um, venues in my area, but Fancy Dog Sports Academy is online. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, kind of going back to this like genetic heritage, it is so cool to dabble in sports and get to see where, where your dog's brain can really light up in that way. I know I just kind of keep using that phrase, um, but a lot of sports kind of come out of aptitude tests for specific jobs. Um, mm-hmm. And because the vast majority of our dogs were originally bred for a job of some sort, mm-hmm. um, you can you can just see a lot of really cool stuff from sports. So, you know, if you've got a terrier, consider barn hunt. If you've got a sight hound, look at, um, you know, a lot of sight hounds actually do enjoy dock diving as well, but um, lure coursing. Lure coursing, yeah. So fun. If you've got a bully breed, look at weight pull or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you've got a border collie or a herding breed, look at tri ball or actual herding lessons. Herding lessons. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it's just... And yeah, a lot, are what so I, fun. one of the things I love about sports as well is they, I think they generally hit almost all of these requirements that we're about to list. You know, it's physical exercise, it's mental stimulation. It can be species specific enrichment. Mm-hmm. Um, it builds your bond because you're going to have to be training together. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I'm kind of sold on the sport thing, even if you don't want to compete, even though if that scares the the bejesus out of you, Mm -hmm. even if your dog is fearful or reactive and is never going to want to go into a ring again, you can take classes online. So, yeah. And I, I, I thank you for bringing up the fearful or reactive piece, because I think that's, what's so, so great about nose work in terms of a sport. And Mm -hmm. probably I teach, I hands down teach nose work to every client for a variety of different reasons, but, um, it is just so great because the classroom, if you do in person, if we ever get back to in person, anything <laughs> in this world, um, but y- y- the dogs go in one, one at a time because, you know, Sully can be reactive to the sight of other dogs, especially inside an enclosed classroom. And yeah. nose work was a great opportunity for him because he could go in and do the um, hunt, like, or do the scent work on his own without other dogs staring at him. So, yeah. And like Kayla said, everything's online right now. So go ahead and and take and like dabble in sports. I mean, another one that we didn't mention, I don't know if it's considered a sport. It probably it could be is canine freestyle. I think it I is. Guess, I guess that, that's considered a, oh, yeah, a sport. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I just, I just did the whole, like, is dance a sport? Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah, did the which whole is controversial. Funny, your background. I know. Seriously. <laughs> so yes, canine freestyle is, uh, so fun. And I actually took a few classes with Sully in San Francisco and we like, I've never seen a dog light up more. Like he has so much fun doing that. So there's just a lot of opportunity for you to connect with your dog in that way and sort of geek out on the sports. Yeah. So number two is mental stimulation. And so this is, this is a a topic that a lot of our clients know. I think it's, it's gaining in popularity, especially with all the food puzzles and, um, toys that, you know, that, that encourage your dog to think and to troubleshoot. Another thing is to incorporate games into your everyday. Um, I wind up doing, um, a lot of hide and seek games with Sully and, um, I wind up hiding and calling out, find me. And then he's got to find me. And guys, it's so funny. I should really film this because he doesn't do a good job finding me. Like it's hilarious. I'm like, (laughs) I don't understand. (laughs) Like, Like he sort of walks past me, stops. And I'm literally like behind the door and he's just sort of listening and looking 
and then he'll walk the opposite direction. I'm like, really? Okay. Um, <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. But when he finds me, he's so excited. And, and so we do that probably three times a day. We do it when we come back in from walks so I can make a positive association by coming back in from the walks. Um, and he really, really loves that. And then other mental stimulation is training, right? I mean, when we're training our dogs, most of the time they pass out sooner than if they were to do some sort of physical activity, depending on, you know, what you're actually working on. So training Mm -hmm. can really work the brain and enrich them in a variety of different ways. So, yeah. And then the third thing that we've got on our list is species specific enrichment. Um, And so we can think species specific or, you know, as we've been hitting relatively hard Mm -hmm. on this, you can also do breed specific. Um, And so all dogs are dogs, (laughs) you know, they're all canids. That means that they pretty much all are going to enjoy certain sets of things, but your breed or breed mix is going to inform anywhere that we humans have bred dogs to show a certain behavior much, much more strongly. So if you were to take any canid in the world, they're going to have some amount of aptitude and interest in digging and foraging and sniffing. But if you've got a scent hound, your dog is going to be a lot more interested in sniffing than if you've got a terrier who's going to be much more interested in digging. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, and obviously we're talking generalities here, but so all species specific stuff, we've got digging, Um, you can make yourself a super easy little sand pit um, with one of those $5 kiddie pools, throw it in your backyard. I know I live in an apartment, so this is not an option for me, but you know, um, it's an option for a lot of people. Um, And then bury some goodies in it. And one of the cool things I love about a lot of the species specific enrichment is I sometimes get pushback from clients who say, well, okay, that's great, but I don't want my dog to learn how to dig. And my response to that generally is your dog probably already knows how to yeah. dig. If we're talking, yeah. if we're talking about digging, it's probably because digging is part of the behavior problem that they're coming to me for. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily recommend a sand pit to like every dog I have mm-hmm. or every client I have. Um, your dog already knows how to dig. Let's just channel that appropriately. And it's kind of the same thing. Sometimes I get asked that by people who have, I, I have a ton of herding dog clients. I get a lot of border collies. Um, and I don't know whether that's just because border collies have issues or if it's because I have a border collie. So people come to me, <laughs> it might be um, both. <laughs> prob- probably both. Um, but I get a lot of pushback where, you know, they say like, yeah, he, he wants to chase cars. And I say, okay, let's teach him to chase balls instead and we're going to like do some basic tri ball or something Mm -hmm. and i get a a lot of pushback on that and i think it i kind of liken it to the idea of putting a kid who really needs to work through you know like an angsty teenager Mm -hmm. putting them in karate class you know it's not necessarily or even like a boxing class like Mm -hmm. you're not really just teaching the kid how to fight you're actually letting them get an outlet for that need that they have yeah um I like that analogy. So that's a little bit of a tangent. There's a ton of different species-specific enrichment ideas that we can dig into a little bit more if you want, Marissa. But um, I think the the main thing I want to want to get in is just that, like, know that just because you're it's a problem behavior that you're channeling elsewhere doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean that you're going to make the problem behavior worse. Odds are you're going to be making it better by yeah. channeling. Yeah, yeah, it's super counterintuitive, and I have had that same pushback from clients as well. So just to recap, so far we've got physical exercise mental stimulation, and number three, species and breed-specific enrichment. So we've got three left. Number four is life skills. So 
we, when we were talking about this, what we mean by this is teaching the dog specific behaviors in order to be a part of your life. So teaching them to Kayla's favorite, relax on a mat so that you can take the dog with you to a coffee shop, right? Teaching your dog to do a recall or to come when called while they're off leash so that you can take them hiking. The more skills you teach your dog, the more life they get to live. And, and the, they might have an increased level of enrichment because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I've always known this kind of, but I, um, I feel like I'm seeing it right now with, um, Jack's being in my home. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barley has much, much better leash skills. Barley has much better dog skills. Barley is trustworthy off leash around other dogs, around people, around livestock, around, um, wildlife. And Jax is not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, Missoula is absolutely amazing for off-leash opportunities. I have multiple off-leash dog-friendly hiking areas that I can go to within a 10 or 15 minute drive. And most of them aren't all that crowded and Jack still doesn't get to experience a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and because he's not as good on leash when I walk downtown to, there's a coffee shop, like a mile from my house that sometimes I'll walk to grab a coffee and walk home. Jax doesn't get to come on those walks mm-hmm. um, because he's going to pull me the whole way back while I'm carrying the coffee and he's going to bark while I'm in the coffee shop ordering. And, you know, we're working on all of those things, but I'm actually really getting to see and experience myself making these choices of being like, I want to bring both dogs. I don't want to be leaving Jax behind. There's no reason I have to leave him behind in the environment, but his skills mean he can't come. Yeah, and that's not ready for it doesn't get those exercise needs mm-hmm. met as much. And at the extreme, I know you and I both saw this. Um, I, I don't even necessarily want to say occasionally, but with some frequency at the shelter. Oh yeah. Because the dog was so poor, you know, like did, did your dog live in the laundry room because he was so poorly behaved and then he was really poorly behaved because he lived in the laundry room. And then it just kind of spiraled until eventually you gave him up. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it can, you know, it can be, that extreme and that sad. I doubt any of our listeners are dealing with anything like that, but it is, yeah. you know, it's just something to think about. Like yeah. if you don't train your dog and your dog therefore can't enjoy anything because he's a pain in the butt. Yeah. It's not helping anyone. Yeah. Or you, you don't realize that. And then you still bring the dog to situations like that. And then <laughs> yeah, you are like, come, come, come. And then you poison the cue and then the dog is not listening anyway. And then there's frustration and then there's a rift within the relationship. Like that's even worse, I think. Right. Because it's like, then all of a sudden it's the dog's fault that they're not paying attention and they're not doing the life skills that they never actually knew how to do in the first place, if that makes sense. So that's yeah. not a great way to provide anyone's needs met, whether it's yours or theirs. So the next one we're going to talk about is downtime. And this one is really important um, because I think that this is no matter whether you have a new puppy or whether you have an adolescent dog, this is something that I think people forget to incorporate or they just incorporate it because they're at work or something like that um, when we used to go to work. But I think I think that downtime is really important to have the dog have appropriate and deep sleep and rest. I have one client of mine who every time she stands up, the dog is alert and following her everywhere. And there is an element of separation anxiety and the dog has actually never been left alone. And I don't think that this dog ever gets a deep sleep unless the um, pet parent is actively sitting still 
And that's not necessarily Ooh. great for this dog's nervous system and for this dog to uh, recover from all of the experiences he or she is is engaging with. So making sure that we can set up situations where we are doing deep sleep and deep rest, whether that's in a crate or another room or a white noise machine or teaching the dog how to relax on a mat, like all of all of those things are really important. And then we also just wanted to talk about another way in terms of like creating an opportunity for downtime is to remove some of the triggers right? So I just said a white noise machine, right? Removing some of the triggers so that the dog has an opportunity to de-stress when they're in the home. So shutting blinds, a white noise machine. Um, you know, some of my clients have uninstalled their, their, uh, doorbell, right? Because we're getting more packages because we're getting things delivered. So just ways to reduce stress inside the house. Um, and the last plug is really for something called decompression walks. So this isn't necessarily downtime, but it's, it's providing an opportunity for your dog to be out in nature, possibly on a long line, like a 20 foot leash, um, or, you know, on a regular six foot leash, but you're not requiring the dog to do anything. You're not practicing on loose leash walking. You're not doing a watch me. Like you're not doing all of this, um, consistent communication with one another, you're actually just letting the dog be a dog nose to the ground. And we're following their agenda as they're gathering information about their environment. So making sure that we are providing all of that opportunity for them to not only rest, but also drop into their environment and not interrupt that, that much needed opportunity. Yeah, I think I've been thinking, you know, rest is just, it's so important. And, you know, as I said the other, you know, earlier about yesterday when I decided to leave Barley behind, you know, physically he was absolutely good to go for a run, but I felt like after that big training session that we had, he really needed to sleep for a mm -hmm. while. Um, and yeah, I mean, I do a lot of the removal of triggers as well. Um, I guess we're, we're on a podcast and so no one can see this, but I actually have, um, window cling covering my, my patio doors, mm -hmm. uh, because Barley has a habit of being very, um, worried, I think about pigeons. <laughs> um, we're on the third <laughs> floor <laughs> and he's just like very concerned about birds. Um, and we'll kind of like stand there. And if I didn't have the window cling up, he would just stand there and growl at them. Mm, um, <laughs> poor guy. <laughs> yeah. And then he was getting into this thing where he would like, he would stand there and he would look for them and he'd just be like ready for the pigeon to come back or the starling or whatever it was. And, um, and I think this is where sometimes I, I have to, I struggle with this when I talk to owners about this because I say, Oh my God, Fluffy loves looking out the window and watching the birds. And I look at my dog doing the behavior I just described. And I say, I don't think he's enjoying this. Mm -hmm. Like he's on guard and yeah. I want him to be able to turn off. Yeah. Um, is it releasing some endorphins? Probably, but it's kind of like getting into a Facebook fight where it's like kind of fun. Um, and mm -hmm. it makes you feel really righteous, but it's not actually really good for you. But it's not I, good I for mean, you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, that's at least my, uh, my interpretation of it. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we're doing a lot of interpretation here. Yeah. But I love that. Uh, <laughs> I'm now envisioning Barley having a Facebook fight with the birds. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. No, that's He's totally like, just get off my lawn. <laughs> like, you know, like, yes, it's fun for him to like prove himself right in the comment section of a YouTube video, but like. <laughs> 
Is that actually a good way to spend your time? Is it, yeah. Is that really healthy? I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and That's especially, fine. you know, as I'm thinking about getting, um, getting, bringing home this puppy, which is going to be my first time raising a puppy ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm scared bleepless. Um, yeah. <laughs> It'll be great. And, you know, it's like, I know, cause especially I'm bringing home a sporty little border collie. He or she is going to want to go, go, go a lot. And I'm going to have to really focus on enforced nap time, which can be really hard for people to keep in their heads about yeah. particularly puppies and teenagers. It's like, just because your dog wants to be awake and wants to be engaging with you doesn't mean that's actually what's best for them. Yes. And yes. especially with babies, you know, you bring home an eight week old puppy or a 10 week old puppy or a three month old puppy. And just like remind yourself, like that is three months. That is so, so young. young. Yeah. They need sleep. So young. They really, really need that sleep. And uh, yeah, sometimes it's hard to make them get it. (laughs) Um, so, you know, stay tuned, uh, to the journey dog training stuff as I explain how I actually managed to get my puppy to do that. (laughs) Yeah. So I, well, and okay, we should talk about decompression walks a little bit more just because I feel like sometimes people struggle a little bit to understand what we mean as the difference between that and like a normal walk or that and a hike. And I think I end up melding all three together with some frequency. Mm-hmm. Um, but one, uh, and, and you can, that's okay. You can take elements. So I recently got myself a 15 foot biothane leash. Um, and I live right on a river, um, path that is not super busy this time of year. Um, you know, in the summer, right after work gets out, it can be really busy, but I've actually been walking barley on this 15 foot leash. Mm-hmm. Um, and really just like anytime he wants to stop, we stop. Anytime we want to go over there to sniff that tree, we go over there to sniff that tree. And for me, that's really separate from when I'm hiking or trail running or even going for like a quick potty break, then it's like, all right, you're either like, I'm going where I'm going and you are coming with me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And when I'm hiking, you know, Barley's off leash and he's getting a lot of that same sort of stuff, but I'm not waiting for him. And same with trail running. I'm not waiting for him in the same way. I'm not really engaging with him. Like I'm doing my thing and I'm picking a trail that is there for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, not that that doesn't meet his needs or that there's anything wrong with that. You know, I actually find that better for me in general than just going towards that we've got areas that I can go where it's like, this is great for Barley, but I personally find it ugly. Mm-hmm. I'm better in my habit of meeting my dog's needs if I make sure that I also really enjoy it. But anyway, so you've got a ton of options for decompression walks is the point. Um, the big thing for me is try to give your dog as much leash as you can. Um, I am really, really pleased with this like 15 foot leash um, mm-hmm. for if you've got a walking path, you know, somewhere in that 10 to 15 foot range is going to give your, like, it's amazing how much more my dog is able to get out of a walk with this 10 or 15 foot leash versus a six foot leash. Um, and I will also say that with Jack's, his leash skills are a lot better because he just doesn't pull as much because he's able to get to what he's trying to get to as I still catch up to him. Um, so if your dog is really bad on leash, consider the fact that actually a longer leash is going to help not hurt for these decompression walks. Yeah, I've seen that as well. And I would say too, in terms of the decompression walks, if you have a dog that is nervous of their environment, like, you know, that, that could look where they're alert or barking and lunging, right? Like if you have a 15 foot leash, it's a lot of things to manage, right? So you want to choose your environment, like Kayla's talking about really well so that 
there's less triggers for you to have to manage if for some reason there's like a biker and you've got 15, you have 15 feet of leash, right? Like your dog is far away from you. So when you're on these decompression walks, a lot of times we're talking about them in nature and we're talking about them in, 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 um, less frequented areas so that your dog can actually really be relaxed and drop in and you are not constantly wrangling them in because there's triggers present. So in terms of the environment, just think of that as well. Yeah. And then our last topic today is developing the human canine bond. And basically everything we've been talking about is going to contribute to the developing of the bond between you and your dog? You know, I feel like for, for myself, when I'm fostering dogs or even with Barley, um, ha- one of the biggest ways that I really feel like I'm building and deepening that connection is just in these like micro interactions around my apartment where the dog kind of comes over and it's like, Hey, what's up? And I'm like, yeah, what is up? You want to do something? Yeah. You know? I love <laughs> um, that. Like, do you want, like, you want some, you know, like Barley will just kind of come over and like sit pretty for a minute and I'll like rub him on the chest and mm-hmm. give him a treat. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we've trained each other where he's trained me to give him a treat yeah. by coming over and sitting pretty. And I've trained him to let me rub his chest by giving him a treat after. Yeah. Um, so we both get what we want, but I really feel like those, those tiny things around the house where, and like, and I can see this is where I fall apart as well. So I will be totally honest that this dog Jax, the Malinois that's living with me, he and I are not the best buds. We're not like great roommates. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, and I can see that so much in the way that I interact with him where like when he, he tends to shadow me, um, really, really closely. And just in this way that I'm just like, dude, I need space from you. Mm -hmm. And every time in that micro interaction, I get frustrated with him, our relationship deteriorates. And then he actually seems to want to shadow me more because he's like, are you mad at me? Are you mad at me? Are you mad at me? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And so I, I I really feel like I see things fall apart or get built in those like teeny tiny interactions around the house versus like Jackson. I have a beautiful relationship when we're training. We really, you know, when I'm able to be in dog trainer mode, I'm able to be there for him a hundred percent. And he shows up a hundred percent as well where we really struggle is in these like teeny tiny things around the house or like, like I can show up for our walks really well. Um, because it's like, okay, I've got my treat pouch. I've got, you know, blah, blah, blah. Here we go. We've got the poop bags. But when I take him out for like the, the two minute late night potty break, mm-hmm. like we almost always have like a moment where I'm really frustrated with him and he is confused about what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I love that you're bringing that up because you're right. Like, the more micro interactions that are positive that we can deposit into the relationship mm-hmm. bank account are, is so important. And it's, it's really easy to take those little micro interactions for granted, right. Or to not even really be aware of them. And so I really appreciate that you're bringing that up because all of them add up to what the relationship consists of and, and what that bond is between you two. So I, lo- I love that interaction. Yeah. So I love that example. Thank you. <laughs> so recapping, we've got physical exercise, mental stimulation, species and breed specific enrichment, life skills, downtime, and paying attention to and developing your human dog bond. So Kayla, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. So where can listeners find you? 
online? Well, if you Google journey dog training, you're going to find me very easily. I think the best thing to do is just to find journey dog training. And then that will link to my YouTube channel, to my podcast, I think to my Instagram. If it doesn't yet, I will make sure that it does that. Um, (laughs) And um, yeah, that's just going to be the easiest thing. I am a really avid blogger and we were actually just talking earlier how I feel like I'm a better blogger than I am trainer. Um, So if you guys have any needs as far as that goes, um, that's a really, really good place to start. And then we do also have a variety of online courses that I'm really, really proud of. One that I'm really excited to go back through is going to be our new puppy raising course. Um, I'm actually going to refilm those videos with my new puppy. Um, So just keep an eye out for all of that. And um, all of our stuff is 50% off as long as the pandemic is going on and we're donating a dollar from every sale um, to color of change. So if you guys need anything, (laughs) um, a lot of it is super cheap right now and it's going to good causes. That's um, awesome. Aside from just my rent and Barley's, um, squeaky toy habit. (laughs) So, well, uh, I will make sure to link to all of that in the show notes. That is really, really awesome to hear. So I'm Marissa Martino of Pause and Reward in Boulder, Colorado, and you can find me online at pauseandreward.com. Please be sure to subscribe to the Pause and Reward podcast wherever you find your con- wherever you find your podcast, and you can contact me via Facebook, Instagram, or send me an email at say hello at pauseandreward.com. Take care, guys. The theme music is called Sunny, provided royalty-free from bensound.com. The audio is mixed and edited by James Eady at beheard.org.uk.